Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, and the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back like the Premier League rights to NBC, David. What do you <laughs> yeah. make of it all? Well, yeah, just to be clear, we have a front row seat, you would think, and yet we had no idea what was going to happen uh, until everybody read about it. Just to be clear, they don't let us negotiate on behalf of NBC. <laughs> that That is the two Robbies job. I know. Uh, well, news bubbled out late last week, Rog, that NBC has retained English and Spanish broadcast rights to the Premier League with a bid of more than two point seven billion, uh, which covers the next six years. I think the rights last time were one billion over six yeah. years. A two point seven X increase, Rog. We're two point seven X more valuable ourselves now. No one will ever forget where they were when the news broke six more years. I felt like it was like as if Steve Kornacki had just called Georgia, Michigan and Pennsylvania for Rebecca Lowe. I mean, God, i just so grateful to the two Robbies who you all know <laughs> as just really well-prepared pundits, but we know that they are like, they're like Shiv and Roman at the negotiating table. But it is incredible. The stats <laughs> of what has occurred since NBC first acquired the rights October 2012. I think it was a three-year deal. Uh, which began the 2013-14 season. That was 250 million. And then you're right, 2015, I think it was a billion for the next six years. And exact terms of this new deal, you know, are being um, essentially reported by The Athletic, not but not confirmed. Let's just say it's definitely more than 2 billion for the next six years. And that escalation, Davo, that escalation, I, I guess it's a reflection of the number of games, what they, in television, what they call the number of exposures and the number of windows and the demographic, which make it perfect. Really the perfect sport for the new model um, of television, which is targeted at emotionally connected niches. In the olden days, the NFL was just targeted at everybody. You know, that, that model was being ripped up by streamers who are looking for deeply, passionately, emotionally connected niches. Um, and that that um, is where the Premier League's catnip, right? Yeah, well, look, if you think about the renewal, um, you know, six years ago, when they paid $1 billion for the rights, you know, the games went on NBC and NBC Sports Network. We hadn't even heard of Peacock, Rog. Naive, I still thought that Peacock was a, 
was an exotic bird of some kind. Peacock. Um, yeah, peacock. But now, really, this deal is for Peacock. Yes, there will still be games on NBC and NBCSN just for the rest of this year, but that's under the the the, the, the pre-existing deal. Um, this is really about Peacock. It's about streaming. It's about the games playing on the streaming service and the value of uh, of the Premier League to the growth of that service, which is everything for uh, NBCU. In the same way as CBS for their streaming platform have invested heavily in the Champions League um, and European football, ESPN for ESPN Plus, you know, really, really investing so deeply in the sport we love. And I know the streaming is a darkness um, for longtime fans who... Yeah, we were spoiled when every game was available and you could access it easily. Streaming is is the future um, of television and football is so bloody key uh, to all of those networks' business models in the here and now. You know, I will doff my cap to the way that the Premier League and the way NBC have broadcast it has really transformed the way football the quality of it with Rebecca Lay I I listen to her and you see someone who prepares so bloody hard but is so incredibly intelligent she's able to take deeply complex um, understanding of the game and then real true individuals of genius are able to ask questions that seem very simple on the surface but if you really know uh, the subject matter then you can tell that just the way they've uh, they frame the question. They truly, truly understand that what she's done for the game on this broadcast really changed the way we all engage with it. And the thing that is fascinating to me is you look at NBC, Davo, and ultimately, in this moment, they decided to prioritise the Premier League over the NHL. It was more of a priority for them. You know, the Premier League over a so-called Major League sport. And for me, in this moment, those of us who've watched the growth, and many of you have lived the growth along with us of the game we love in the nation we love. That, the fact that essentially the Premier League, this is the moment when it is nestling amongst the major league or or competing with the major league sports in this country. To me, that's what makes this a truly breathtaking moment. Yeah, I think this moment and, you know, I think we spoke about before just the ratings for that US-Mexico game, which were just enormous uh, on broadcast television uh both english and spanish was a real moment i think that was a you know combined 1.7 rating rounding up 18 to 49 three times bigger than anything else on television on that friday night including a pretty yeah in the demo including a big you know nba game which i think finished second you know this ratings and um and just the conversions into subscriptions of these fans, uh, of Premier League fans and of soccer fans in general, are just outstanding. The return on investment, the age of the viewers, you know, Rebecca Lowe's unbelievable ability to both satisfy the hardcore fan and then appeal out to a broader family audience. It's just that's such a rare uh, broadcasting skill. NBC having brought, you know, major league coverage, major league, you know, Sunday night football quality coverage uh, to the Premier League, which, you know, if you remember the, the days before that, no other network brought. Um, you know, it's really a, a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. I know there will be complaints uh, from some in the audience about the games going on Peacock and how difficult lot, that service is to find. And I'm sympathetic to it. 
Um, what I would say is that, you know, we're all part of the problem because we're all watching Netflix and we're watching Amazon and we're watching um, Hulu and, and we've created a competitive environment where, um, where you know, broadcast television, linear broadcast, linear cable are just dying uh, and all of these studios have to compete with OTT networks. So if you don't like watching on Peacock, don't ever watch anything on Netflix and then maybe you'll get it back on linear cable. Let's, um, let's invest our energy in Crackle. Yeah, exactly. It's still around, <laughs> by the way. It's still around, Rog. I think Sony still have a piece of it, so let's be careful. Um, the uh, but it's a, yeah. Don't get me fired on this podcast for my day job. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, Peacock is going to improve as a service. You know, this is a brand new thing. They're they're you know they will get better at delivering it. They're paying an amount of money for these games that that they're going to have to, you know, deliver it better to the audience. So uh, I'm super optimistic. I'm really happy um, for everybody at NBC, all the people we know behind the scenes, and the on-air talent, you know. Um, it's just fantastic also, all, for them. All, 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 by the way, all the lively have us exchanging emails with, with Becca this week. Just to all the different, you know, across the board, the people who've invested their energy since 2013, the staff... Yeah, you know, behind the scenes, just the number of livelihoods that you know have been can continue. That that is a remarkable thing. Right ahead of Thanksgiving, I am thankful for the quality of football um, that is now broadcast on all of the networks in this country. It is honestly something I never bloody take for granted. This is our this is our Thanksgiving podcast, and we're incredibly grateful to be living this 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 remarkable moment you know this afternoon we're going to see we're going to see bloody Chelsea play Juventus on uh, on CBS we're going to see two Americans Pulisic and McKinney go head to head in the Champions League it is it is remarkable times and I don't take any of it for granted where are you going to be for Thanksgiving David uh, I'm getting on the red eye uh, tonight um, I'm you would love this event Rog I'm I'm uh, taping the Jeopardy National College Championships right now for ABC which which airs um, in February. Just lots of sweatshirts, Roger. I know you love a college sweatshirt. I'm wearing um, one now. Hashtag I Homefield. I just, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe that college should, uh, if you want to be good at Jeopardy, you should go to Europe as a young teen and play against the best for the best to become a great Jeopardy player. <laughs> sure, I don't believe in the college system for Jeopardy. <laughs> By the way, they're, 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 it would be good to go to Europe because um, their knowledge of yeah. European geography would be stronger in those categories. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah. just remarkable. I, I said where, to my where, staff, "Where is this? Where is this?" We're shooting it at Sony in Culver City, but it's going to air on ABC in prime time. Uh, I think probably in February or March. Uh, it's just superb. I said to um, the staff and crew yesterday that you know it actually makes me feel, though I'm not technically American yet, it actually makes me proud to be American to be around these 36 amazing young God. people and their just knowledge and optimism and and civility mate. with each other. And it's beautiful. And colleges sort of ranging from Kennesaw State to Harvard and, you know, Caltech, MIT, Virginia, Vanderbilt. Like, we've, we've just run the gamut. The historically black colleges are represented, Howard and Spelman. It's just this remarkable group of... Um, young people and uh, just enjoyed every minute of it after that finishes tonight i get on a red eye and uh, fly to bridgehampton you're like the Ilule gunner solskjaer interim of jeopardy <laughs> yeah. davo at the wheel <laughs> yeah <laughs> it all started so well do you know where i'm going for thanksgiving where are you going rog i'm headed to the, the united kingdom tonight for the first time since covid it is 
two years since I last saw my parents. I last saw my dad when we were in Liverpool filming. We took uh, that boat on the River Mersey, that film uh, that I shot. I have not seen my parents face to face since. I do speak to them every single day and it's been remarkable navigating this awful COVID darkness via Zoom and FaceTime and, and on the telephone. But within the next 18 hours, I will have landed in Liverpool. Possibly by the time you listen to this, dear GFOPs, I will be with Val, Judge Iver, my brother Nige, um, filled with joy and gratitude and excitement. And I'll never take any of it being face-to-face for granted again. Oh, it's beautiful, Rog. Um, so excited for you to have a Thanksgiving uh, around your family. Okay. <sighs> I hate to bring everybody down, but I do have a quick piece of business out of Men in Blazers World Headquarters. The Men in Blazers TV show is unfortunately back next Wednesday, December 1st, after the Merseyside Derby at 6 p.m. Eastern time with special guests Tyler Adams and Sunday show featuring Game of Thrones star Nikolai Costa Valdau is available right now on Peacock. So when you said it's very good, Peacock... It's not all good. We're on it. <laughs> it's 2.7 times more crap. All our shows are, uh, are to be found there. And Nikolai, I love that human being. He is proper leaves. I love being with him. His advice about the secret to happiness as a football fan being, quote, low expectations. It was just chef's kiss. If you didn't catch it, please find it on Peacock and give it a spin. Yeah, all of our shows will be available on Peacock this season. Just open the app and search Men in Blazers. Rogelio, can we get a toast? Oh, I want to raise my first Budweiser of the day. Well, this is our Thanksgiving podcast. So I will raise it to you, listeners, dear GFOPs, great friends of the pod. We send our love to you uh, and your families. But we we raise this, oh, this particular bud to Canada. The football team, not the nation. Yeah, the nation too. They sit top of the CONCACAF Star Wars cantina that is World Cup qualifying after the international break. And I want to say, what a magnificent team making CONCACAF look easy. You don't hear a lot about the old rules of CONCACAF qualifying from the Canadian press. They're just doing business in the snow Oh, and it's bloody magnificent to witness. And the US, by the way, should start playing games in Alaska and Death Valley. At Amar Journo tweeted us to say, Canada at the World Cup. Drake's going to be on the touchline, pretending he's either the manager or a substitute in Qatar, isn't he? <laughs> he definitely, definitely is. Which brings us to the reality that the World Cup is now just under a year away, 363 days as we pod, Dave, out mm, to amazing. World Cup 2022. That's the good news. Bad news, it's in bloody Qatar. That is yeah. dark, insane, corrupt, challenging. And that news should never be normalised. And I want to say, may all the teams spend the next 12 months, and you can see it brewing, working out how to protest effectively against the worker deaths that have been caused by this monstrosity of an award to a state that has little footballing tradition, had no infrastructure, is too small to truly host it. And even to host it, the whole global football calendar has had to be torn up to make it happen. Why is it happening? It's happening because Qatar rolled up bank trucks of money to the football powers that be. And that's an abhorrent reality. We're all trying to work out how to handle it, how to react to it, how to cope with it, how to live with it. 
how to manage it, how to message it. And as I say, to a year of never losing sight of the wonder of football and decoding the abhorrent self-interest and greed of the footballing authorities. It is important for all fans of the game and all, you know, moral people to educate themselves about the story, about the situation, about these awful worker deaths and about the, um, and about the nation of Qatar. And um, I've been reading a lot about this last week. I must say I have a, you know, both always excited for a World Cup, always excited for football to be a, an escape from, you know, the problems of the world. I love the joyfulness of football. Unfortunately, football too often reflects and it's, you know, just the way that it has to express itself, you know, through countries, through governments, through the people expresses and it can't hide from all the problems of the world. What's happened in Qatar since the World Cup has been announced you know, reliable sources, you know, the information is all murky, but reliable sources have reported, you know, six and a half thousand deaths of migrant workers, Rog, there just since it was announced. I mean, it's just, it's it's staggering. It's difficult to process, but I encourage everybody to read about it. World Cup soaked in blood. Okay, Rog, to the football. Watford 4, Manchester United 1. Zio Claudio's Orns dominated this game from the off, going up 2-0 in the first half, despite David De Gea saving a pair of Ismail Assar penalties. United then brought a tulip to a knife fight, chucking on half-time substitute and forgotten man Donny van der Beek, who pulled one back right after the interval. United did start to flicker, but Slabhead tinkled all over any hopes of a comeback when he was booked twice in seven minutes and sent off. Watford added two more in injury time, and the final whistle proved the flaming arrow on Ole's Norse funeral pyre. The team finally announced they'd parted ways with the baby-faced assassin. Rip Ole. Lovely man. A lovely man, as we will discuss. And I did feel like a rubbernecker tuning in for this one. Ole Gunnar's last waltz after an international break in which Ronaldo had been briefing the press about how he was, quote, pissed off <laughs> with Ole. Uh, I was just fascinated to watch how United would respond in this one. And ultimately, they did so by completely unravelling and serving up Watford's finest 90 minutes at home of this Premier League season. Uh, the goals, we can relive <laughs> them. memory. Yeah, you know, even Watford cannot remember when Watford last did what Watford did. And it almost, the tragedy from a Watford perspective always became a subplot. You know, Saar had already missed the penalty twice when Watford took the lead. Former Manchester United player Josh King, the Norwegian King, stabbed home after Wambasaka coughed at the ball to Emmanuel Dennis. Uh, King must have thought he was playing Everton Dave. He couldn't believe that he could score against other teams. And God, Manchester United have conceded 10 goals in their last five matches. So I guess, yes, he could believe that he'd scored. Everyone was bloody scoring against that back line. And such was a Watford barrage. Saw redeemed himself with Watford's 11th shot of the first half, lashing home from the right-hand side of the area. On the stroke of half-time, Dave O'Q, Manchester United fans having to suffer the indignity of Watford fans. Watford fans singing Ole at the wheel. How low could it get, David? Yeah, I mean, this was something else. I'm not sure I remember a the last time a major, major team was outplayed so convincingly by a team sitting right at the, you know, almost at the very foot of the table. Um, 
you know, you you see sometimes these lopsided games where, you know, the smaller teams manage to beat the bigger teams when, you know, all of their shots on target go in. This was, they were out-possessed, they were out-passed, they were out-thought, they were out-played in every single sector of the pitch, in every single, you know, segment of the game. I mean, it was yeah. something just quite, quite ludicrous to watch. And desperate times, desperate measures. Ole's job on the line at halftime. And so he threw on Donny van der Beek, a player mm. he'd marginalised and undermined some gambit to be candid. I'm not a spiteful human being, as you know, right, David? No, not at all. But if I was van der Beek, I would have scored an own goal hat trick. You'd <laughs> <laughs> have been I curling really them have. in from the edge of the box. Yeah, just really like one of the most artful, just A bicycle kick on goal. Yes, a scorpion kick, uh, just a thunderous 45-yard wonder strike. <laughs> you know, just a bit of a, Was that a Rabona? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'll, all I'll say is Donny van der Meek, the best of van der Meek, because just five minutes uh, into that second half, he got his head on a Ronaldo knockdown from a Jaden Sancho cross, it should be said. Um, all they must have been looking at just that exquisite move and be like, wow, so this is how it's done. Football. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> oh, Jaden, I didn't tell you to do that, did I? Yeah, yeah, United's comeback was on. It felt, didn't it feel like this is it? Another, you know, Ole is about to pull another wonder, redemptive uh, performance out of his arse, right? Yeah, for a moment. For, but then Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire. What happened, Dave? Recklessly earning a second yellow within, was it like seven and a half minutes? I mean, it was just, was it self-sabotage? The way he, I mean, if you look at the second foul, the way he... Yeah, the second one was unbelievable. Tom Cleverley, with his little legs in the air like a bug that had been thrown upside down and couldn't get back right side up. I mean, what, 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 what was that? It was both an act of violence and of self-harm. Um, it was again violence. Why am I laughing? Are you saying you're saying awful things, two awful things, and I'm just like, I'm still thinking about Tom Cleverley's little legs in the air. I know, former Manchester United man, Tom Cleverley's yeah. little yeah. legs. It's a thing. I mean, the player that Man United really need in midfield right now yeah. is Tom Cleverley, Rog. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, Harry Maguire just just took him out. I mean, took him out with with relish, with gusto. I mean, it was. It's just not a challenge you even think of making, um, or have when you're to on make, a yellow card, or yeah, or, or need to make. to make, or should make. And the only thing I can think is that Harry Maguire knew what we were all thinking, which is the only way he could contribute to increasing the chances of a United comeback was by being sent off. I believe the percentages of United coming back were actually boosted by Maguire's exit. Adam Crafton tweeted. Ole would have been fired three times by Watford during this half alone. And God, they did create chances even with 10 men. Ronaldo had chance after chance. I will say he is still world-class at something, which is, you know, few players in the modern game blow it and then immediately blame someone else on the field uh, rather than himself than Ron Ron. And each missed chance, a reminder that it was his ballyhooed height return, which has led to this record, Dave, one five drawn two, lost seven. And that's what ultimately sank Ole, who never had the power to use Ron Ron as he should probably be used on a team stat with young attacking talent as an impact sub. But watching Rono just F up time and time again, it was almost poetic. There's nothing surprising about watching this performance by Ronaldo. That's 
that's the thing that, you know, immediately occurs to me. It's not surprising. You know, he has had moments of phenomenal skill. He hasn't been entirely crap, Rog. He's been he's, um, he's had a magical moments. finisher, an incredible yeah, he's a, finisher. An incredible finisher. He's had moments which will be on Man United highlight reels for decades. But on the whole, he has made the team, as many people have written and, and talked about, he's just made the team worse. And it's been a distraction. He's not the solution to their problems. He's not the root of all of their problems. But he is a symptom of everything that's wrong at that club. It's been great for the Premier League, terrible for Manchester United. And if you roll the tape back to his arrival when so many pundits were saying this has got to make Manchester United amongst the title favourites almost immediately. God, how wrong... Um, we have been uh, proven to witness as United strain to get back into the game. Only to, I mean, injury time was really insult to injury time here. Two late goals banked home, sports bras out, Watford tears of wonder, Ranieri, wow, just wow. A victory delivered, as you you said, Tom Cleverley, Josh King, two players deemed surplus to requirements at Old Trafford. So were Craig Cathcart, so was Ben Foster. But no one, no one's going to be talking about what an impressive performance again by Watford because and we got Chelsea we've got Arsenal awaiting we've got Villarreal in the Champions League coming up for Manchester United but my lord you knew Ole was gone during the post-match waves to the fans Dave right it was like watching Ole recreate Sean Penn's Oscar nominated role in Dead Man Walking it was hard to watch well, I mean, I was hoping that he that it was going to be done because you just got to put him out of his misery because yes. another few weeks of watching him struggle like this just would have been awful. I mean, he's a man who undoubtedly loves Manchester United and we had to watch a man realise he's killing the thing he loves. And my God, what was it? Five of the last seven Premier League games United have lost. That is just utterly devastating. And he, he's clearly no idea how to fix it. An emergency board meeting was called... I imagine it was a bit like the succession uh, emergency board meeting, complete with a uh, imaginary dead cat and in a lovely, really a kind uh, firing statement that preserved Ole's legacy status as a 1999 treble hero, even allowing him. I mean, this is unprecedented, right, David, to record a tearful farewell video. Um, they announced they were clearing the decks, bringing to the end a three-year surreal cycle of, of really claps and last gas redemption. Six manager to be fired this season in the Premier League. We are 12 games in. Ole leaves, no trophies, no true title challenge. $580 million spent in the process. What do you make of his legacy? I mean, it's just another failed successor to Sir Alex Ferguson. The same as David Moyes, the same as Louis van Gaal, the same as Jose Mourinho. He just, you know, exists in a, a long line of failures since Sir Alex. Um, and I think this one is sadder and harder for, you know, every follower of Man United because he's a club legend. Um, and I actually appreciate the way that Man United handled it and the way um, that the club handled it. Of course, echoes for me of, of Frank Lampard leaving Chelsea and, you know, the club didn't handle it and didn't treat Frank with, with that level of, of respect. Ole given more time than Frank uh, also, but it was a, I mean, his legacy, you know, hopefully he goes off, gets another manager job and, and builds up his career again. You know, I hope that's not the last we see of him. Willie, because who would honestly give him another job in the top flight? Well, maybe not the top flight, but you know, you can go back I and mean, it's amazing. If he goes somewhere in Europe and starts, 
you know, winning, there aren't enough winning managers, you know? So I was just watched the uh, the King Richard movie and there was a quote in that movie is like, you know, 50% of everyone who played today lost. And that's, it's so true. Um, of course, in, in football, you can draw also, but like it's, there are so f- precious few winners, you know, in leagues around the world, there are so few people who actually win the league. If you go away and win, you're going to get plucked up again. Um, this, and I hope he does that. He's still young. He's under the age of 50, Rog. I hope, I hope. I mean, he's a, he's a sweet and wonderful human being. Uh, he had the longest honeymoon I've ever seen in club football. And you, you look at United, I do think it's the hardest job um, in professional sports to manage that team. I mean, just look at his exit, the board's thinking, so scrambled. They had just given Ole a long-term extension in July. And his entire backroom staff. A symbol of no planning, no vision, no real football sense. Um, Who there in that whole United infrastructure could usher in, can you believe, a new era of glory? Um, Because right now, it's really the past three years have been just dipping into the emotion of nostalgia. It's really just the club shop talking the past three years. And to be Manchester United manager is incredibly hard, not just following Sir Alex, but there's, there's, there's no job in football like it. United is a brand first club, a football team second, competing against, at the top level, shakes, oligarchs, piffs, bottomless wealth. And what United do have, they have a cash machine that is built on global sponsorship deals, a peerless cash machine. But for that to work, the players are brought in by the marketing department, depending on their own social platforms, their demographic global pull, the psychographics, what what emotion are they allowing us to tap into? But the football team also has to keep winning for that brand money to keep flowing in. So you're essentially being asked to make a speedboat out of an oil tanker. It's bloody difficult, you know, especially without the sport. You look at, you know, the, the system is led by the people responsible for bringing in cash from those commercial deals, the, the, the bank partners in, in every single quadrant of the world, the credit cards, the aeroplane partners, the beers, the official potato snacks, tractor engines. It's not like City, where the whole operation under Pep Guardiola has his trusted stewards, Tiki Bergestan, Ferran Soriano, working alongside him as executives in harmony, not at United, um, and God bless Ole. We've seen nostalgia is a hell of a emotional drug. You know, he saw himself really as being steward of a club that he'd served for 18 years. Saw no difference almost between being there as a player and a manager. You, you listen to him, Davo, in those conferences. We are a big club. We play winning football. Tactics are simple. You put winners on the field and they win. That may have worked in the 1990s, but not in this game of slim margins that's modern football. And I realised that, you know, post Mourinho, I interviewed him eight weeks into his wonder, wondrous start. And I asked him on camera how he turned Victor Lindelof from a mistake-ridden, low-confidence defender to a lockdown, clean-sheet warrior. And he just smiled, thought about the question. He goes, I don't know, really, which was sweet and honest and, and, and really revealed everything. But United... They're now going a strange route, Davo, an interim manager to get to an interim manager, like an assistant manager or assistant to the manager from the office, Michael Carrick, and then trying to get a firefighter interim manager to the end of the season. What do you make of it all? Like Poch, heavily linked. Zidane seemed well positioned, but seems to be angling away. What, what do you think? Zidane and Poch seem to be in some kind of a sort of death spiral dance where, you know, if Zidane goes to... 
PSG that will, you know, set up Poch to uh, go to Man United. I mean, look, to some extent, I think all of it is irrelevant because until Manchester United change their nature as a club behind the scenes, I don't think it's going to make any difference who's coming in and managing that club. And it's still the same bunch of, you know, expensive, you know, jet skis who they're trying to mould into some, you know, yeah. you know, beautiful, beautiful ocean liner. And it's just, it's going to be very tough. Um, uh, Michael Carrick, you know, a, you know, a, a tactically... Um, not only underrated, but he was sort of the, the darling of the sort of the English uh, press for years and never understood why he didn't play more games for England and seen as a, a tactical master. But he's very quiet. He's quite a, a quiet, unimposing figure. Um, I think it's going to be a, a difficult job for him over the next uh, few weeks or months. Let's see how he does. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a mess of a situation. I think Poch would be he's such a great culture builder such a healing life force but uh, you can imagine the glazers in their special board meetings being like let's get Zidane you know we've we, we've had Moyes LVG Jose and Ole we've never had a ball let's go ball yeah. and then you know just Mr. Glazer feeling his ponytail being like by the way I'm not bald myself but let's go get one the only good news for United fans they may soon please God have a manager who can actually develop the skills of young stars like Jaden Sanchez and Mason Greenwood and empower them to fulfil their immense potential or not. And I do realise I've had just so much joy for Liverpool fans, City fans. You know, so many non-United fans are loving this, you know, like the Yankees floundering or the Knicks. And I realise watching it, seven out of 10 people, the motivating force for them getting out of bed in the morning, Davo, Schadenfreude. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, especially because if your own team aren't winning, it's it's fun to watch somebody else not winning either. And there are three teams who are so dominant in the league right now. If you're not following one of them, it's much more fun to root against somebody else. Speaking of, Rog, Liverpool 4, Arsenal nil. Jurgen Klopp's U-boat, to extend the boating analogies, delivered a torpedo to Arsenal's 10-game winning streak with a devastatingly casual 4-0 win at a crackling Anfield. The first 30 minutes, all just an undercard for a touchline spin between Jürgen and Mikel Arteta that we will go deep uh, on here momentarily. But the almost fight proved to be a vendorpunkt as Sadio Mane headed Liverpool in front just minutes later and Liverpool never looked back with Diego Jota, Mohamed Salah and Taki Minamino all getting on the score sheet. This this comprehensive victory moves Liverpool back into third place, four points behind Chelsea and one behind City. Feeling their swagger, this young Arsenal rolled up at Anfield. Oh, 10 match unbeaten run in hand to a place that's always in modern times been seen as a true test of their Sisyphusian progress. Rarely more than this one. You know, that top four chance on the line for them. If they had won, Liverpool would have dropped out of that top four. They were still trying to prove themselves after that West Ham setback. Huge stakes. The game started off a bit proby proby. Both teams trying to get into their rhythm while maintaining their shape. I've got to say, Arsenal, God bless, excellent at keeping tight, poking the ball away from a continuously advancing Liverpool in the final third. And what stood out to me is the fight that both teams brought to the field. Fight, which was exemplified by their managers in the 32nd minute. Mane made a bit of a 
Uh, a back and left an elbow on Tomiyasu. Not a lot there, for being honest. But Mikel Arteta went ballistic. Ended up him and Klopp exchanging some hot stuff. And the two men went toe-to-toe like LeBron and Isaiah Stewart. David, what did you make of it all? Because it changed the game. I understand why Mikel Arteta... Uh, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of commentators are saying they don't understand how Mikel Arteta allowed himself to get dragged into it. But it was also mastery by Jurgen Klopp. Mikel Arteta didn't start this at Jurgen. He started this getting very upset at a challenge made on one of his players on the sideline. When, frankly, a Liverpool player did come elbow through the neck, at least, of one of his players. And Arteta went insane on the sideline, as you see many people do. Klopp then brilliantly decided to go and take that out on Arteta and uh, and sort of went at him. I can abide Klopp, his assistants, his little uh, his little posse. It's like in the uh, you know it's like Malfoy's little Slytherin goons in Harry, the Harry Potter movies. They all sort of stand up behind Klopp and you know and start you know giving it a bit of afters, um, and then it all goes off and. He walked into a trap. He walked into a trap. He did, he did, he did. You know, to me, the big question is, did Klopp do it on purpose to whip up the crowd or was it Arteta's naivete? The way you're framing it, a little bit of both in there because suddenly it looked not like a Premier League game. It honestly looked like a chip shop in Liverpool after the pubs had closed. My personal favourite moment when Mikel Arteta had to be held back like James Brown doing the classic, don't hold me back, don't hold me back. Well, all the time, desperately looking for someone to hold them back. God love, you know, let them fight, let them fight. Um, who wins that, David? Oh, Arteta going away. You think? Yes. You think? Yeah, what, what, Klopp's, not a, Klopp's not a hard man. Klopp has this aura around him and he's got all of his pathetic assistants around him. But Arteta is, I mean, did you watch Arteta play football, Rog? He was beautiful, gorgeous, but he was hard in the middle of the field. Once a blue, always a blue. God, at Volkswagen uh, tweeted us that it is an incredible fight. The perfect teeth against the perfect hair. Almost an incredible matchup. Too close to call. You know, I think actually Klopp would hammer him. But Mm. ultimately, Klopp would be undone because you could break your hand punching that hair helmet. (laughs) That ultimately is nature's defence and Mikel Arteta's only hope. But life lesson, number one, I've lived it. I have lived it in my youth. Never poke a scouse bear. And my God, whatever, whoever, whether it was naivete by Arteta or Klopp's just absolute craft, shithousery, Machiavellian brilliance, it changed the game. Suddenly Anfield was whipped up into a boisterous pit of humanity. The Reds totally fired up. Klopp talks a lot about, and this talked about it from the very beginning, about the triumvirate, the, the, the him as the conductor of the fan base, the fans reacting, the players um, f- being fired up by the fans. And after Klopp went German, Ryan Reeves, um, Liverpool were a different team. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was very struck after the Brentford game. Ayer said after the game, the centre-back, that he said the level they attack, it almost feels like they're subbing on a few players. He was asked to describe what it's like to play against Liverpool when they really are flowing. He said it's a level of play I've never experienced before. You can do everything perfectly, but the attacking play can be too 
good to stop. And that's what it looked like as Ramsdale made magnificent save and a follow-up flick from Salah from close range. But then the breakthrough from the fight onwards just felt inevitable, Dave. And of course, the man who started it, Mane, it was him that scored with his never balding head onto a fantastic Trent Alexander-Arnold set-piece. Yeah, beautiful goal. When Liverpool play like that, David, they're unstoppable. You knew the second that foul was given away that it was going to be uh, it was going to be dangerous. Great finish for the first goal. Um, and uh, game completely changed. Arsenal just couldn't live with Liverpool's intensity from that point on. Their press, it was like a threshing machine into which Arsenal, young Arsenal, kept playing, kept coughing up the ball relentlessly. And with tiredness, more mistakes. Tavares passed straight into Jota. You live by playing out the back. You die by playing out the back. Though again, I think I'll you know, speak to a lot of Arsenal fans after watching Jota dummying and sitting down opponents just for the yucks. A lot of Arsenal fans have said, to be candid with this young team, Davo, they'd almost prefer to watch them learn from making mistakes than have, you know, Cedric back there. Mm, I don't know. I don't think there's anything good about seeding. Yes, it was a great opening 20 minutes for Arsenal, but seeding a game like this and just getting so comprehensively, you know, beaten... Um, it reminded me a lot of, do you remember that game when Chelsea went to Liverpool at the end of Lampard's first season in July? Yeah. Um, and they lost 5-3. You know, they went down 3-0 so then pulled it back to 4-3. And then Alexander-Arnold got that set piece. There was also a fight, you know, there was no crowd there to whip up, but there was also a bit of, you know, an altercation between Lampard and Klopp on the sideline. And ultimately... <sighs> You know, even though the Chelsea youngsters fought back well and fought back hard, they were made to seem naive and the club was made to seem naive by, you know, uh, by Klopp's team. And Chelsea did a lot better that day uh, than Arsenal did uh, at the weekend. So I don't think there's anything great about the learning process. They just got thumped. Without Ramsdale, they did get thumped. This could have been 6 or 7 nil. The way Liverpool played, the surety... The confidence, the dominance. I actually tweeted, it would be more surprising if Mo Salah doesn't score in this one than if he does. And within nine minutes, Jota sprang Mane down the flank, who burnt through the Arsenal back line. I mean, just the harmony, Mo Salah tapping in. It just felt, I mean, first of all, it feels like Jota is now phasing out Bobby as the third BG in red. But the harmony between them, Dave, it was. It was like hearing, and you come to me on a summer breeze, keep me warm in your life. That front three, there's nothing like it in world football. Yeah, it's amazing. And this is the team in third place in the Premier League, uh, Rog. Uh, But they certainly are playing uh, football like they are uh, superlative. Six straight wins against Arsenal by combined goals of 22-4. to Um, You know, for Arsenal... I don't know what, how you handicap it there. I think you're probably harsher than I am. I'm fascinated to see how they respond because in seasons past, they beat down and this felt like one has just led to free fall. I still believe Arsenal will have their swagger. We know where they are now. To me, they they found out on this day they're a cruiserweight, a very good cruiserweight who faced up to a heavyweight and got a beat down. But they show enough promise to mean that it should be disappointing but not deflating, right? I mean, look, I just suppose that, you know, yes, I may sound harsher, but I just think that, you know, when you go up against the best teams in the league, that's when you really have to show the pressure is sort of off you. That is when you really have to show what you've got. And Arsenal, after those first 20 minutes, showed so little and succumbed so easily. That's what bothered me about it. Yes, they've had this amazing 10 game 
a streak. You know, I think the fixtures get a little bit harder for a while uh, right now. And, you know, if there is a learning from it, it's got to be, you know, they're going to have to bounce back and show that pretty quickly. Yeah, they've lost heavily this season to Chelsea, Manchester City and Liverpool. They know where they are. Still a long way off the elite, but improving. Like you look at Partey, he's a good player, but so off the pace, the tone, the tempo set by Fabinho. And they could compete for the first 40 minutes or so, but after that, they wilted. I did love, however, the defiant tweet from great GFOP at Binky Marsh who said all of your negative Arsenal talk will not diminish the joy the Gunners have brought me over the last 10 matches. Godspeed. I love that attitude. Liverpool, not much to say, on a different planet to Arsenal. Their first three goals, all stunning. I think 35 now in 12 Premier League games, a clean sheet two. You know, Klopp ended up by trolling Arteta, sending on Tyler Morton, who Liverpool say is 19, but he no looked way. about, what would you, you say, seven years yeah. of age? Eight? Seven or eight. So it's, it's, it's got to be younger than George, my 10-year-old. Yeah. It was like watching him clop just like be, I can bring on players who have not even been through puberty yet and we can still smash you. Okay, Rog, uh, another similar game. Leicester nil, Chelsea three, the league leaders claim a routine win at the King Power and a dominant performance highlighted by an Antonio Rudiger reverse glancing header and N'Golo Kante pint-sized blast with his wrong foot and a Christian Pulisic catch and shoot. Truth is, this could have been six, Rog, but Chelsea players, in a tribute to the injured Timo Werner, had three more goals ruled (laughs) offside at the end of the match week. Tommy Tuchel's mob stay three points clear atop the table. Brog, meanwhile, suffering a serious case of senioritis, having applied early decision to both the United and City. (laughs) jobs apparently maybe under the radars Chelsea you know they're only the European champions and three points clear having lost just once facing a disappointing Leicester City a team who well we've got to remember last time they played Tuchel's squad they were ahead of them in the table one win away from Champions League qualification and that was only 14 Premier League match weeks ago we are living in the upside down with Brodge right now. His team have faded far and fast. And within four minutes, a tone set here. Ben Chilwell, ex-Leicester Chilwell, sped in on goal, spanked the ball against the crossbar, leading the Leicester fans to cheer as if he, honestly, if you watch it, is the noise they make is when a player has blasted it high and wide. And that kind of derision would come back to bite them just 10 minutes later. Just pinpoint Chelsea set-piece magic, David. Yeah, um... You know, interesting, you know, definitely a, a set piece. Rudiger starting near the goalkeeper and and drifts out to a, just a beautiful ball from Ben Chilwell and um, glances it in. Not many defenders in the league uh, can score that header. Uh, most of them, Most of them play for Chelsea. Not many strikers. He's, he's magnificent. He scored eight times in the Premier League, four yeah. times against the Foxes. Proper hates Leicester. Mm-hmm. And I watched that goal. I was like, Chelsea are a machine. And as the Chelsea players celebrated by lifting Chilwell into the air, Chili's like a little trophy, David. <laughs> yes, yes, they should mount him. That would be great. And <laughs> write things on his tummy. From a Leicester City perspective, the marking mm, can only be described as everton They have conceded more set pieces, I think eight times than any Premier League side this season. I mean, they just are shipping, especially headed goals. Issues, issues, issues. It would get worse for Leicester. I mean, Johnny Evans gave Kante a guard of honour. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was just phenomenal watching. You know, 
Kante just run through them. He is fast, but he doesn't uh, make a lot of those offensive runs. Tuchel's got him doing that more, playing him in a slightly different position, you know, really allowing, you know, Jorginho to sort of sit back in the in the in the in the pivot and allowing Kante to get forward and drive forward more. And what a great goal. He doesn't score many, Rog, but when he does, they tend to be bangers. Oh, and that was really Leicester to a T. Their back line was overwhelmed. Their midfield was unable to get their dangerous players, Lutman, Barnes, Vardy on the ball, never mind into the game. And Brendan Rodgers' game management seemed designed to really just to impress the upper echelons at Manchester United. They'll love the character of this performance. At Raj tweeted us, look at me now, winning the title for Chelsea. Um, and they are magnificent, David. Your defenders outscore your attackers on the season, but they barely surrender. Never mind goals. They barely surrender a shot on goal. I mean, the one thing that Tuchel's changed this season is that, you know, last season, he often played five genuine defenders across that back line, um, you know, to the extent that Alonso is a genuine defender. But he would play Dave out on the right. He would play Alonso at left. He's really is playing Reese James and Chilwell when he can. He's genuinely playing wingbacks back there. Um and changing his 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 centre three combination, it is a more attacking Chelsea team this season than it was last under Tuchel. Hence, these goals coming from all over the place, even without you know his one would assume preferred strikers of Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner. That's the first mention of Romelu during this report, you know, and he's the guy they bought in to score the goals, uh, and so they're just getting them. Uh, from everywhere. When you say everywhere, Davo, you really mean everywhere because, oh, and the whole world's talking about this, not just yeah. America. Oh, 62nd minute, which I don't think Tommy Tuchel understands. Chrissy Polissi's music is the 69th minute. That's when yeah. he demands to come on. But Chrissy Polissi sauntered on at <laughs> Dos Acero. And what happened, mate? Yeah, scored a, uh, scored what I would say is, you know, not an unbelievable finish, not the most beautiful goal in the world, but it, the build-up was sensational. And that, uh, you know, the way he made himself free um, in the box at the end was superb. So uh, good at finding an inch of space yeah, in the box, absolutely. it should be said. And Ziyech playing the role of Tim Weyer, twisting defenders inside out, but a phone run across his defenders again. Although against Leicester, he, he made it look very easy to find a mile of space and God, nutmegging a Schmeichel never gets old. 3 0 on the road. Mm. Another clean sheet. Big Rom still to come back. Huge games against Juventus and listings Manchester United. Are you feeling dangerous, Dave? Feeling like we're in the fight. Very good team. Better than last year, this year. But, you know, you call it. You know, you, you moderate an argument between, you know, the. Um, between the candidacy of Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea to win it this year. You know, forget about what's on the table right now. There are still plenty of games to go. You know, each team has a legitimate claim to win the title this year and that's magnificent. We haven't had a three-horse race for a very long time. One note on Brodge to Manchester United. Brendan tried to dampen speculation pre-game by saying, I'm happy and proud to be Leicester manager. I'm fully committed to this club player's ownership. All the other noise around it is something we can't control. It's frustrating to see these rumours. I'm Leicester City manager, which Davo reminded me. Do you remember what? I mean, I don't know if you remember this conversation. We have talked about this a lot um, in life. Did it remind you of anything? Uh, no. What are you thinking of? I'd love to find the actual podcast, but these 
almost word for word, these comments reminded me of the days when Brodge had just broken through at Swansea. Um, and ah. there were a lot of clubs starting to, to, to swarm around him. And he gave a beautiful speech, truly a poetically beautiful human speech, which I remember reading word for word on a pod back in March 2012. I, I actually looked up the speech. Brodge said then, I've learned I have my health. <laughs> I lost both my parents in the last 18 months oh, or God, so. It's put a massive, a massive perspective on my life. By the way, when he said this, I read this out because I thought it was so beautiful. I lost my parents in the last 18 months. It's put massive perspective on my life. My family's happy. As you can see, I love working with the team and the players. There's no doubt somewhere along the line in the next 30 years. I mean, I'm 39. Hopefully I'm going to be around a long time. If I keep working, well, maybe... The chance will come later on, but my only focus, my only respect is with Swansea City. I signed a three and a half year deal and I love being here. And 63 days later, he was announced manager of Liverpool. And envelopes ensued. (laughs) Tottenham 2, Leeds United 1, Antonio Conte's mob stormed back from a goal down to earn the Italian, his first Premier League win at Spurs. Bielsa's boy band took the lead just before halftime with Jack Harrison teeing up the man bunless Daniel James to poke home. But this isn't Papa Nuno's Spurs, Rog. In the 58th minute, <laughs> perpetually angry Dane Pierre-Emil Hoiber steered one past Melier in the Leeds goal to level the score. And in the 69th minute, just like they drew it up, Eric Dyer bounced a free kick off the Leeds wall, off the post, and right to Sergio Reguillon, who stapped home the winner. Spurs in seventh place just four points off the top four Rog Conte's first Premier League game at home as Tottenham manager shaking hands with Bielsa before kickoff it was like seeing two characters rip straight out the Sergio Leone spaghetti western movie his Spurs began the day seven points off top four his mission clear and Conte had spent the international break making seismic changes to gear up his second half of the season charge. The tabloid headlines, Davo, Antonio Conte wasting little time in whipping tubby Tottenham players into shape. The news being Conte has banned ketchup and mayonnaise from the club canteen in a bid, according to the tabloids, quote, to cut the flab at the Premier League strugglers. Source, Davo, big change. Is it the HP version of the butterfly effect? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but something, uh, something changed. Certainly not in that first half, though. Rog Tottenham looked woeful, woeful again, and Leeds starting to really tick, starting to look uh, really good. But there must have been a decent halftime team talk. Um, Antonio certainly started sort of getting up his energy uh, um, in the second half. But um, yeah, something changed. I think that first half, the the players were just wandering around were saying, first they came for the sources and I didn't <laughs> speak out because I am not a catch-up. I mean, God, it looked like they were just like muttering to each other, oh my God, the Tabasco's just the first step. Next, he could be coming for you and Dombele. But you're, you're right, that first half, it was hard to see any change in the quality of the Spurs play. The Conte three at the back. Seemed creaky. The three at the front seemed isolated without a creator. We've got to credit Leeds. Uh, they have injuries to Rodrigo, Bamford, yeah. Rafina, Luke Aylin, but they still charged at Spurs like Dothraki and they gained their reward in the 45th minute. Our mate, Jack Harrison, with the wizard trickery speed, crossing wonder to create a chance even Daniel James couldn't miss. 
And Conte's Tottenham, David, completed a dread record of six consecutive halves of football with so much as a single bloody shot on target. They were booed off at half time. And I need to know, because you're a, I consider you a Conteologist. What do you think Antonio did in that locker room at half time? Because they were a team transformed. Do you think he went right to the blowtorch and was it used on Delhi? Or am I just starting rumours? Probably threats, recriminations, <laughs> threw all the toys out of the pram, lit some farts. I don't know what he did. It was I a. I, I, I can't imagine him getting like just no words, just lighting a blowtorch <laughs> and, and just welding it menacingly. Um, Around probably not using it one game in because once you've used it one game in, you you can't really escalate from there. But I do the second half. It was a blowtorch kind of performance. Completely different team. Yeah, very different. You know, usually this is a manager who needs a preseason to fire up his team. He just really needed halftime to fire it up this time. Um, he whipped the crowd going. He started all his histrionics on the sideline. Very different watching him do it for a different team than for your own team. How is it? Uh, I was far How more tolerant it? of it when he was Chelsea manager. Now, of course, uh, I've like find it all a little bit off-putting. You think? What do you experience when he was when he was just like oh, just absolutely revving up that crowd? It just all seemed a little fake, to be honest. It felt like a performance. It didn't feel just didn't feel real. And every time he did it when he was at Chelsea. When he's your own manager, you feel like it's completely authentic and real. Oh, it felt authentic. Yeah. If you didn't see it at the final whistle, Conte turned to the Spurs faithful with eyes bulging, roared with fists going like everywhere. It was like watching a lion after it just ripped the head off a wildebeest in a nature doco. So so just to recap, when he does it for Chelsea, authentic. (laughs) (laughs) When when he does it for Tottenham. I'm freely admitting it. Not authentic. I know. I was just like, oh, welcome back, old friend. But I'm sure Tottenham fans content. would say the same thing. When they watched him do it for Chelsea, they loathed it. And now they're like, oh. wow, this is he's a really authentic, passionate manager. Yeah. He's, he's summoned an authenticity. You know, I, 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 I love what he did. He's pushed Hoybert further forward. He explained in the first half, we ceded possession. In the second half, we changed the plan tactically, decided to put pressure in every area of the pitch. That essentially did mean Hoiberg pushing forward more, got his reward with a scuff shot, finding its way in for the equaliser, changed the tenor of the game, and Dyer clipped the wall with a free kick onto the post, and only Reggion followed it out, ramming the ball home for his first ever goal for the club. You could see what it meant, by the way, because Hoiberg just ran up and started to just beat him, started to beat Reggion, truly pounded his teammates back in celebration. It was as if that goal was was like an exorcism for this season in that in that moment. And I do, watching Conte rule like a madman, you see a bloke who's trying to lead by example and fill in the kind of intensity I have no doubt. I have no doubt his sourceless team will soon do. Four points out of six as a Spurs manager. Burnley, Brentford, Norwich ahead. Spurs fans get excited to be disappointed again. We'll be right back to talk the father, Dean Smith, the son, Eddie Howe, and the Holy Ghost, <laughs> Stephen Gerrard, of new managers in the Premier League, right after this word from our friends at Uncommon Goods. Men and Blazers, we like to believe more is more when it comes to football. Less Everton are playing, in which case, oh, less is always more. But one thing you can do to enhance even the Everton watching experience is to visit the GFOPs at Prize Picks. 
They're America's number one fantasy sports app. Test your skills on prize picks this season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you've got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Tappity taps, mostly just picking what categories you want Everton players to disappoint you in and smashing the less. Thing I love about Price Picks is, is how simple it is to use. They're now offering Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this soccer season. No more ferreting around in your wallet for that security code on your credit card that the computer never saves. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's promo code MIB. Price picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator. Stoke cold brew coffee. Always bold, always smooth. Yes, that is the very same Stoke as in the mighty Wrexham Fortress known as the Stoke Kairas or the Stoke Racecourse. Wrexham AFC's home. They support it. They support football, which is just one great reason to love this coffee. It is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar. Essentially, the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, something for everybody from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Wrexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. Okay, Aston Villa 2, Brighton 0. Steven Gerrard returns to the Premier League in some style, getting a win in his first game in charge of the Claret and Blue Birmingham outfit. This game was deadlocked at 0 until the 84th minute when substitute Ashley Yang sent Ollie Watkins down the left. He cut back inside and drove one past Jason Steele in the Seagulls goal to make it 1-0. Ipswich Town alumnus Tyrone Mings. Hmm, wonder how that got in there. Doubled the lead in the game's dying embers. And after five straight losses, the Villa get an important three points. They're in 15th place. Aston Villa versus Brighton and Graham Potter's Beard Albion, which is what I think they should now be called. Tough first game. First look at Stevie G as a Premier League manager. Tactically, Davo, fascinating. He's gone. High-cut V-neck sweater. Yeah. Under blazer, you can see who his influences are. He looked wardrobe-wise as if he was signalling, I am Brendan Rodgers' coaching treat. What did yeah. you think of it? Yeah, I mean, dressed as a much older man than he actually is, Rog. So it was a very conservative outfit. No-nonsense stuff. The kind of, you know, it worked up in Glasgow for him, Rog. And he's, he's bought it south of the border. GFOP at Big Snooze tweeted, Stevie G unleashing an unimpeachable fit. It screams, I can hit the club or the tree farm later. That is just the versatility of that wardrobe is really what he's trying to signal to his team. And in this one, they didn't have a lot of the ball. Brighton 63% of the possession, really like a Brighton of last season, dominating without scoring. And those last 10 minutes, a dream start emerged for Stevie. 84th minute, Ollie Watkins cuts inside. Unleashed a sizzler of a strike away from the keeper's despairing fingers. Cue Stevie G, immense relief, double fist pump, roaring in delight on the sidelines. Tyrone Mings wrapped up the game and lost in the headlines. 
the reality that Brighton, after the brightest of hyped-up starts, have now not won in eight. But let's totally ignore that because Stevie G snaps Villa's five-game losing streak. He's got Palace away, Man City, Leicester and Liverpool, Davo. December 11th trip to Anfield. I mean, the tabloids are already salivating that. That's the date that heroes' journeys are made of. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating, Rog. It's like there are... 11 or 12 teams who are all in a relegation fight right now or maybe you're in <laughs> completely safe in the mid-table I know you don't like hearing that but it is yeah, I'm, la- I'm laughing awkwardly because Everton yeah, are in there Brighton on the way down these are all teams who are you know they're just all in a scrap against each other and I, I'm actually so excited for the for the mid and lower part of the table rest of the season at Shredo asks us the big question, Davo, does Steven Gerrard evict the tenants of the Villa frat house? What does Stevie G do with them? I don't think he even recognises the frat house. I don't think he even gives it the time of day. I mean, he called back Ashley Yang uh, first game. I mean, he yeah. is... He's, uh, Ashley Yang's not in the frat house anymore. But Ashley Yang is a man who knows that farts are just farts. They're not there to be lit. <laughs> Yeah, lads, sometimes farts are just farts, lads. Yeah, I think the frat house is permanently closed down at this point, Rog. I do believe Stevie G is going to just... The one thing he will do to signal his source will be cracking down on haircuts. Just get ready to cut that bro lettuce. Because if there's one place Stevie G does not celebrate creativity, it's in the barber's chair. Dude's had the same haircut his entire life. Talking of Villa, Rog, their former manager, Dean Smith, is now in the win column in East Anglia after Norwich beat Southampton 2-1 in his first game in charge. And they came from behind to do it. Shea Adams had put the Saints up in just the fourth minute, doing some tough running between the tackles before hammering home. Pookie leveled things just three minutes later with a wonderful near stick finish. Get it? And in the 79th minute, one of Scotland's largest mountains, Grant Handley, rose up to nod home a corner and earned Norwich their second straight win. The Canaries are now just three points from safety. It's incredible. Incredible. Dean Smith, Delia's forgotten son. What a start (laughs) for him. A man who said the thing that motivates him most is the determination to prove people wrong. And he will love the Norwich job then because there's so much wrong to revel in. He'll be like a pig in shit. I have a feeling that the first thing he did when he arrived in Norwich was double the amount of ketchup and condiments available in the club canteen because, God, against a team who beat him in his last game as Villa boss, Ralph Hampton, it's just a come-from-behind victory. The first time Norwich had, had, had been able to come from behind in 37 games they'd trailed in in the Premier League, it just magnificently, joyously... The catalyst in this was actually Josh Sargent, who yeah. had his best game in fluorescent yellow coming on, running himself ragged, creating space, confusion, opportunity. And Dave out two games ago, everyone assumed Norwich were relegated, two straight wins. Now they're just three points from safety. Yeah, yeah. And every team above them is getting a little bit shaky, Rog. Uh, the third new manager in charge this weekend, Eddie Howe at Newcastle. They drew with Brentford 3-3 in a game drunker than any Geordie stag do after trading goals throughout the Bees held a 3-2 lead in the 71st minute when Fast Eddie, who was watching Vera live feed in a hotel room after testing positive for COVID, instructed his assistants to bring on Ryan Weeman Fraser. And just four minutes after coming on, the pocket Scots cross found Alain Saint-Maximin, who finished neatly into the bottom left corner to give the tune a desperately needed point. They're on just six points now, moored to the bottom of the table. Yeah, in his first 
pre-game press conference at Piff Castle. Eddie Howe said, we're going to have a change in style. I believe John Joe Shelby will be crucial to my new approach, <laughs> which I thought was both a gift to us, Dave Yeah. And a joke until we learned that Eddie Howe's brain had been addled by COVID, which ruled him out of the game. We wish him Godspeed and a healthy return. John Joe will no doubt soon go back to doing shifts in the stock room of the club shop. But in this one, John Joe and Joe Willock charge forward to service the reborn Joe Linton and the great Alan St. Maximam. Reverse gear, not so much. Entertainment factor, 10. Effective football, no. Yes, Newcastle thrilled, but they were wide, wide open and end the weekend. Rock bottom of the Premier League. A new manager bounce, but in the wrong direction. God love you, Brentford. You snap a four-game run of defeat. Still seems so woefully open at the back, but the good news bees, you can sting Everton next week. Yeah. The weird thing about Newcastle, though, Rogers, even though they're on the bottom, you don't think they're going to be there because you imagine that in January they're going to bring in, you know, half the players of Europe. Uh, anyway, we'll see. Burnley 3, Crystal Palace 3, another bonkers affair. Two three three draws in a single weekend. This one in the Shires, where Palace took the lead, went down 2-1, then up 3-2, and we hadn't even hit half-time yet. But in the 49th minute, one of the breakout stars of this Premier League season, Burnley's Maxwell Cornet, sent a moonshot right into the roof of the Palace net to level the score and split the spoils. Burnley remain in the relegation zone on nine points, too shy of yeah. safety. But they're so wonderful to watch this bizarro world Burnley who score for fun and also do not defend too well at all. And they've got a tough run of games on the horizon. So Sean Dyche is going to want to summon some of the stereotypical cliched Burnley defensive stinginess, which has just disappeared, particularly if Tarkowski leaves heads to Newcastle in January, as he's rumoured to want to do. But my God, seeing Maxwell Cornet smash left foot volleys from the gods in Burnley colours, become the first player to score five in his first six games for the club, is utterly, utterly thrilling. Palace, who've been so good in so many aspects under Patrick Vieira, will need to spend all week on defending set pieces. Two Burnley goals came straight from corners. Wolves won, West Ham nil. The Irons' four-game winning run comes to a halt thanks to the perfectly calibrated right foot of CONCACAF, Harry Kane, Raul Jimenez. The L-Tree striker casually passed one into the corner from about 20 yards out early in the second half to win this one for Bruno Lage and co. They're up to sixth in the table. The Hammers, meanwhile, are still in fourth place. Oh, the hangover to the night on the lash after we dropped Liverpool. David Moyes had to confirm that Ogbonna is expected to be out for nine months with an ACL injury, is loss a reminder that this West Ham squad, a terrific first 11, a lesser set of reserves. And Wolves, with little fanfare, have sneaked into that top six. But this game was really about West Ham coming back to earth with a bump as Neves bossed the midfield. Rice had a rare game off and Moyes admitted post-match, if you expect us to be sort of on it every game, then we'll be having these questions more quite a bit because we're not going to be there. We're not at that level to play at the highest standards every single game. And the good news is Czech entrepreneur Daniel Krasinski's acquisition of a 27% stake in the club will give them the financial muscle that they do need in the January transfer window because, my Lord, how they could have done with a Jesse Lingard in this one. 
Manchester City 3, Everton 0. Oh, Rog, who could have seen it coming? The Sky Blues routinely swatting aside your mob thanks to uh, two goal-of-the-season contenders. That can sello to Sterling outside of the boot sidewinding oh. pass that Raz then half-volleyed home and a Rodri blast that would have still been orbiting Earth had the net not gotten in the way. Bernardo Silva added a third. City stay three points behind Chelsea in second. Everton have lost four of their last five. They dropped down to 11th. I think they have yeah. the worst form in the whole league right now. Dark wings, dark words. Five games without a win. Who do you want to not play? Only the team that beat you 5-0 last season. I think they've beaten us eight straight. Um, and just the injuries, the spine of our side, DCL, Decore, Yerimina out with injury. And this was... We'll talk about it. The least competitive game I've seen Everton play in a long, long time, even with KDB out with COVID and 19-year-old Cole Palmer giving his first Premier League start. By the way, Cole Palmer looks so young. He looks like he could be Phil Foden's son. (laughs) City dominated from the off. They have invented angles that Everton didn't even know existed. 77% possession. Uh, Got worse for Everton who were trying to play on the counter without any players who, you know, could counter. Damari Gray went down with an ankle injury in the 40th minute. Diabolical news. And Jim Beglin, who I can't stand it when he commentates Everton games because he's just so... I mean, boy, he's just a proper red. But he did poetically describe the game, Davo, uh, which for me was like watching Boer on the floor. Uh, is that excruciating. He described the game as extravagance against thrift. It really was. I mean, it, Chris, Christians being fed to the Lions had better odds, didn't they? So how worried are you about Everton right now? You just think when the, you know, when those injured players come back, it's all going to be fine. I'm very worried. You know, you watch this game. By the way, this game, if you didn't see it, if it was as if, if the game was played in the dark and City had night vision goggles and Everton didn't, that whatever sport they were playing in the dark would have been closer than, than this football match. You know, it was... I mean, yes, we were undone here by two magnificent goals. That we should talk about the first goal, Dave, in Judge Ivor Bennett time. This is what I'd say about it. It's a goal that I haven't seen before. I've not seen that goal before. That was like the only time I've ever seen that goal scored. The outside of the boot pass from uh, Cancelo. I mean, just amazing. Pinpoint accuracy. It's a stunning pass. Salah has been actually doing that again and again and again this season but it was Sterling's finish he's such a good footballer when he actually thinks about staying upright just the sublime control foot position popping the ball into the opposite corner half volley finish sort of as a past it in uh, not laces through it amazing and and I'll say David when it went in it was a relief do you know that you wouldn't know that feeling it was almost a relief it was like we've been under a guillotine for for like 45 minutes thank god the blades come down odds at half time gave Everton a 1% chance of winning Um, so you're telling me there's a chance there was there was no hope I mean a woeby God, if you're listening to this podcast, you are better at football than Alex Iwobi. 2-0 came with Rodri clubbing the ball straight into the corner from distance. Matt Turner would have saved that. City, they're brilliant. Clean sheet, two magnificent goals, one craft of a poet. The second, the knockout punch of a true heavyweight champ. Third for Bernardo. And the ability to give minutes to the next generation, not just Cole Palmer, but also James McAtee came off the bench for his Premier League debut. That is that is where City get proper scary, when that next generation who've come through their academy, their perfect academy, their brilliantly run academy, that's when they're going to be proper terrifying for Everton. How scared am I? 
I mean, on one hand, I feel for Benitez, Davo. He is very much a scapegoat right now. And the injuries falling snow on snow. Rich Arlison also out for the next one with suspension. I'll be honest, it's starting to feel very... The nights are dark and full of terrors. We have Brentford, but then we have Liverpool, Arsenal, Palace, Chelsea ahead. And the Rafa tenure, uh, let's just say, Davo, I'm beginning to think we're not going to win the league this season. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, no, I think it's all going to be okay. I think the injuries, I watched the game, Rog, I watched the game and City were superb and we we just cannot, not only were they, the the goals were something else. The goals were really something else, but um, even without the goals, their their dominance, their movement, um, and Everton did, they fought gallantly. They put in all the effort. They held them at bay until that remarkable first goal. Um, there was a lot of fight to the team, but oh my God, um, City was so good and they would show up a lot of teams uh, in football on that day and they would show up some way better teams than Everton. Um, I think it's going to be okay. The injuries, they're going to come back from injury. I just say, don't panic. It's all going to be okay. There are three worse teams in the league than Everton Football Club. Please, God, I can tell you this. At this time tomorrow, I will be in the Everton club shop with my kids and I am going to spend even more than normal. It's almost like Everton are a charity and I'm like thinking of the January transfer window. <laughs> put my money, put my money to work, lads. Do whatever it takes. By the way, I, did, I tweeted this in the second half, how incredibly quiet it was at Manchester City. You know, Normally, when a ball is played forward into the final third, you're used to a noise, you know, this, the, the ground starting to crackle. Um, with noise and excitement. Um, And it was almost as if City were so bloody dominant. There was an inevitability to everything that we were watching. And a bunch of City fans thought it was the empty had trope, you know, and they they, they tweet, you know, that's a boring joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. And I'm just reflecting on a fact of watching it. And this is not a knock on Manchester City because it's not Manchester City's problem. It's like the weather in California without seasons. You don't always appreciate the sun. This is not a City problem. Mm. It's actually a Premier League problem. The competitive gap, Davo, creates an inevitability which creates a lack of drama. Yeah, it breaks lack the of dramatic atmosphere. tension. Breaks the tension. Yeah. I mean, it is something really that has to be looked at. It impacts the product in television terms. We've almost got a passive Super League. You look at Chelsea strolling against Leicester, Liverpool just absolutely running over Arsenal. And I mean, the Everton beatdown was even worse than all of them because City didn't even really try. They did that thing again. We're like, okay, won. They won so quickly, like we're shutting this down. We almost do have a passive Super League and it is a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the Liverpool-Arsenal game, you know, you know, Arsenal, one of the teams in best form, you know, coming against Liverpool and made to look naive. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult thing. We're becoming like La Liga historically. Okay, Rog, on that optimistic note, can we get one final toast with that exclamation point in a bottle, Jägermeister, to bring us home? A raise by Jägermeister, this shot of human emotion in a glass, the official shot of the pod to the Washington spirit who outlasted the Chicago Red Stars in extra time to win the NWSL Championship game 2-1, a bridge too far for Chicago after injuries to Ertz, to Nea, then Mallory Pugh limping off at halftime. But all hail Washington Spirit, who had to overcome a traumatic ownership battle, an abusive coach, 
and win it with a goal from 33-year-old great friend of the pod, Kelly O'Hara, who headed home from a magnificent Trinity Rodman Cross in extra time. Rookie and veteran combining. What a season for Trinity Rodman. She began by telling the world she wanted to be known in her own right, then just proceeded to blast away to Rookie of the Year honours and a title, delivering a blistering assist, looking head and shoulders on a different level to all around her in this final. We wish continued success for her. We wish continued success for her and for the league as a whole. I mean, Chicago Red Stars coach now having to resign uh, for his abusive behaviour. All I can say is we are all longing for the day. We can move to positive storylines to focus on the action, the games themselves, rather than the darkness that must be pushed out of the game to change, to life and to love. Courage. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers at MC Davies at Roger Bennett on Instagram at Men in Blazers at Embassy Davies uh, on Facebook where the Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To Tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Happy Thanksgiving, GFOPs. I'm thankful for Everton being in the Premier League. Bon voyage. (laughs) Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber 27 days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.